Chapter 21 of Arona War I counted only seven of us left. I was last in line, behind Chelsea. She was a much better rider than I was. Our horses ran at full speed through the narrow forest trail, branches whipping at us as we rode by. Finally, the trail ended, and I could see the gatehouse up ahead, just past a large, flat field. Hurry, they're coming! yelled General Didier, who had slowed his horse for a moment, just after the trail ended. I looked back and saw a small army of bobbing torches quickly headed our way. Then they turned on a different path, still headed towards the gatehouse. I tried to get my horse to go faster in every way I knew, with little luck. We rushed through the still empty gatehouse and into the outlines. Being the last one, I cut the rope that held the gate open, hoping it would buy us some time. We continued to ride as fast as we could, back towards Newdonia. I looked over my shoulder and watched the torches exit the gatehouse and continue in our direction. They're gaining on us, I yelled. Our horses had ridden through the night. We had no chance of outrunning the rested animals. They're still coming. They're catching up. I saw the general turn for a second, but he kept riding. There was nothing we could do. We were wounded and grossly outnumbered. Come on, he yelled. Keep going. I looked back again and saw one of the torches near the front of the pack fall to the ground. Then another and another. Leafin. I could see his dark shadow diving up and down above the men. Suddenly, the torches stopped. Leafen flew just over my head at full speed, barely missing me, laughing hysterically. What would we do without that crazy Elden, I thought. Who knew this tiny man would be so valuable? We continued to ride as fast as we could, until we finally reached the borders of Nudonia. Dawn was breaking as our horses galloped through the narrow, quiet stone streets of New London, heading immediately towards the palace. I ran to Drew while he dismounted, putting my arm around his torso and helping him walk. He was weak and barely alive. We struggled to keep up with the princess and General Didier as they hurried to find the king. We entered a library with a large oval-shaped table. There the king stood with many of his men, looking over various maps. The king saw us come in and rushed to embrace his granddaughter. Chalsiah, he cried frantically. You're alive! He began looking her over for any wounds. Are you all right? He pulled her in tight, then looked over her shoulder towards us. Where's your brother? Where's Sion? Chalsiah started to sob uncontrollably tears streaming down her face. They, they killed him. They killed him, grandfather. She buried her face in his shoulder. He's dead. He's dead. No. No. No, it can't be. The king whispered, his voice breaking with agony as a single tear ran down his cheek. Who? Who did this? His sadness turned to anger as his voice filled with fury. Who took my grandson from me? Who took my prince? Russo, whimpered the princess. Russo, he exclaimed, shaking his head in disbelief. No, no, my child, it's not possible. Not Russo. It was Russo, grandfather, it was. He sent a sealed message with these men. It was supposed to be you that met Verlanchi. He betrayed you. He has joined the Taronks and the Eastbornians. Tell me exactly what happened, said the king, doubt still in his voice as he stared into his granddaughter's tear-filled eyes. Gently sobbing, the princess told us what had happened. It turns out my message for King Richard had said that Russo urgently needed the king to meet with his delegate, Volanchi, outside Eastbourne to discuss some very pressing matters. It gave specific instructions on where and when to meet. Thinking she was simply doing as she was asked to take care of all affairs when he was away, Chelsea had gone in the king's stead. 
Cyan had naturally insisted on going, so they traveled together with the royal entourage. Once they arrived, the twins got out of the carriage and walked to embrace their old friend, Valanchi, who didn't seem at all pleased to see them. That was their first hint that something was wrong. Valanchi ignored them completely, looking past them to see where the king was. He snapped at Chelsea to shut up and asked her where the king was. Then, without warning, arrows came flying out of the woods all around them. Men jumped out from underground holes and drove pikes into their horses. Their knights were killed so quickly in the ambush that there was no escape. Eastbornians on horseback surrounded them and took them into their kingdom. Once they were there, they were met by the new king of Eastbourne, King Kanab, who had Taronks and other enemies in his court. Chelsea buried her face in the king's chest as she got up to the next part of the story, sobbing harder. I yelled at him and I told him he would pay for his treachery. I told him I would never marry him. Syed tried to run at him, but he was held back by his guards. He just sat there so calmly and said that Syed didn't have a part in his new world. Then he took out his knife and cut Syed's throat in front of me. He killed him. The king began to shake, his lip quivering. The princess could barely speak through her tears. I never should have made peace with the Eastbornians. I should have crushed them. Never again will I show such mercy exclaimed the king, continued to hold tightly to the princess. The princess continued. I fell to Valanchi's feet, pleading for him for help. He told me that our family's time was over, and that an army was about to invade Newdonia. He said that Russo and the young king now ruled these lands, that in a new world order was about to begin. The room began to tremble slightly, then more violently. King Richard threw up his fisted hands, causing the princess to fall to the ground. His face went black and froze, his eyes wide open. The entire room started to shake. Papers flew off the table, books fell from their shelves, and paintings dropped off the wall as I braced myself. The king yelled out in a terrible, dark, unnaturally loud voice, his hands held high, shaking his fists. Rousseau! You will regret the day you betrayed me and murdered my grandson! I vow that I will not rest until I have your head in my hands! My fury will shake all Arona! I will destroy you and your city if it takes everything I own! Do you hear me? Do you hear me, Russo? A piercing bright glow filled the room, blinding me as I fell to the shaking ground. The quaking stopped. The bright light dissipated. I looked up at the king. Color filled his face again. He turned back to the table and his men, looking as though nothing had happened. His generals and delegates stood back up, all acting as though nothing out of the ordinary had occurred. He took command immediately. First we will crush this pathetic army that invades our lands. Then we will send delegates to every kingdom. Offer them money, our own, weapons, land, whatever it takes. Tell them of this betrayal, and that I march on Middleland and Castone to destroy Russo and then a cot in the Taronks. I need their support in order to safeguard the supply of the Rome. Tell them if they won't join me, I will consider them my enemy. He grasped the edge of the table, and I could actually see his fingers cutting into the wood. We go to war. That's it for chapter 21 of Arona, right here on the Storyteller Podcast. Because this was a short chapter, I'll try to be back here as soon as possible with chapter 22 as an army quickly approaches New London. Thanks, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Oh, I almost forgot. A really big thank you to Jennifer for becoming my latest patron. You're the best. 
Thank you for all 14 of you who have taken the time and gone to patreon.com forward slash Adam James to support me. You make these episodes possible. Hopefully one day I'll be able to tell you all stories full time. Thanks again, everyone, and I'll see you all right back here on the beautiful world of Aroma.